Welcome to episode 15 of Speak Better. I'm Rebecca Lindquist, also known as Lindquist the Linguist, and this podcast is all about how to speak better, how to be clear, how to be effective, how to communicate clearly for both native and non-native speakers. Last episode, we talked about the R sound. Today, we're going to talk about dialect, although I've never been a dialect coach. I have worked with actors on occasion, but I typically work on the American accent and the neutral general American accent, not a lot of variation, like how people sound in Boston or Tennessee or Chicago or whatever area might be. I focus primarily on how a newscaster would perhaps attempt to sound and just a general American accent. But what if you do care about dialect and not just American dialects? What if you have a certain dialect of Russian or a dialect of German or anything else? Well, I always recommend starting with Wikipedia, for example. You just type in whatever you're looking for. Like I just typed in traditional Boston accent and it comes up with vowels and you will see those same IPA symbols we talked about. They're coming back to help us or haunt us. But the idea is that we have front, center, and back vowels and we also have high, middle, and low, and that's location in the mouth. So a lot of people say or ask me, is that to do with the teeth and the lips and the articulators? And actually it is not, although of course how you use your lips and teeth and all of that matters primarily for consonants in terms of changing the sound quality. And some vowels do have more tension and the lips will round more. And it's not that it's never important. Like the long E is going to have the lips go out and the short U is going to have a neutral lip movement and the long U has a rounded lip movement. But primarily we want to know where the sounds are coming from. Are they in the front of the mouth like an E? Are they in the center like uh? And our tongue kind of hangs out in the center uh? Or are they far back like aw or Oh, which is higher in the back. So you need to know the placement. And of course, if you can get some audio, like if you can hear someone talking with these accents, it can be really helpful. But that's only if hearing works for you. We've talked about how being auditory is really a small part of the population. Most of us are not primarily auditory. Many of us are kinesthetic, meaning we learn by feel. And that's where the band can come in or the tissue technique can come in that we talked about and also many of us learn by sight so the symbols can be helpful watching mouth movement can be helpful but there are lots of concepts when it comes to dialect that you can google and read about there's the concept of roticity which we talked about with the rhotic and the non-rhotic r so a lot of times for example in this boston accent we want to minimize the r sound like pock your ka I'm not doing that perfectly by any means, but the idea is I'm not saying park your car with that er prolonged. And so you can read about that. You can read about how the vowels are different. But the only accent I have some clarity, and again, I'm not a dialect specialist, but some clarity around is a southern accent, and especially before TV and internet and all that, the more traditional one, where the vowel drops like that. There's a little bit of a drop in the vowel. And that little bit of a bounce from down in the vowel, like that, ah, like I eat some pie. Instead of pie, with a flat diphthong, it dips pie, pie. So if you can master the vowels and then insert those new vowels into your speech, that's how you can begin to work with dialect. I'm sure it's more complex than that, but I think if you start with the vowels in any language or dialect, And let's go back to the definition between a dialect and a language because you hear me sort of using them interchangeably. And there's a reason for that. 
my favorite definition is that a language is a dialect with a, an army and a navy. And the reason to say that is there is no discerning factor that says, hey, this one's a dialect and this one is a language. It's just popularity. It's raw numbers. How many people speak it? If enough people speak it, it's a language. If a few people speak it, it's some kind of a dialect. And then you can even go to a Creole or a pidgin language, which has less structure, but there are some qualifying characteristics for that. The idea behind dialect and language is just popularity. So if people in a small area use it, we call it a dialect. If everybody does it, it's a language. And I think that's a great definition. So in American English, this general language as opposed to dialect is pretty much what a newscaster might be trained in. We used to think of it as the Midwest in the U.S. where call centers were years ago before they went to the Philippines or India or wherever call centers have gone. The idea is that there are certain ways we speak that Americans are more likely to think sound clear. And if you live in London or you speak with certain British accents or Scottish accents or Irish or Australian, people may find you progressively easier or harder to understand depending on their experiences and where they're from. And I'm sure it's different in New Zealand. And I'm also told from people who work in call centers in India that people in those countries like Scotland and Ireland and maybe Wales are much more forgiving than Americans are. That is, Americans will say, I don't understand you in phone support, for example, whereas people from other countries, probably Canada as well, are pretty open-minded and will try to understand you longer. So if you're providing support over the phone, they'll spend more time trying to understand you without complaining. Although most support these days is chat and things like that and not online anymore with phones, so it may be irrelevant. The idea, though, when you're speaking is that if you need to adapt a certain dialect, and this is really important for actors, for example, which is not something I do a lot of. And again, I work with some actors, but primarily because they just want to hear the American accent and learn more about it. You'll have to get really clear on what the vowels are and perhaps take whatever it is, the, the vernacular, the language. If you have a script, for example, write the vowel phonetically above it so that you'll remember to use the quality that you want on that vowel. And there are lots of great videos if you go to YouTube on people speaking with various dialects and doing it extremely well. Sounding French and when they're speaking English, sounding German, sounding Swedish, whatever it might be. And a lot of that is mastering the vowels, mastering vowel pronunciation. And I encourage all of you to do that. Although most people don't tell me that they want to sound like they have a certain dialect, they simply want an accent in English that everyone can understand. It's a big ask because who's everyone? Years ago, when I spoke to a gentleman who sounded much older than he was, when I later saw him in person, he had a booming voice like he was 40 or 50 and he was in his 20s. He was in India, he worked in call centers, he was training people and had some thoughts and questions and he and I met. One of the things that he said is that the American K sound is not one that they have adopted as neutral English. And the reason is when we say K, we tend to do a very different movement with our tongue in the back, whereas in Hindi and in some flavors of English, people lift their tongue in the middle and go k, k, instead of k in the back. So if you say the word kek, and I'm doing the Hindi thing with the lifting of the tongue kek, versus if you drop your tongue cake, cake, which is what I would say, it's harder to teach people that. So in a call center in India, he would teach people to do the British K, and, or maybe it's Australian or something else, but it's certainly not American, the K with the lifting of the tongue, it's very similar to what they already do in Hindi, and it's easier for people to master. Other sounds, maybe not, a lot of our vowels are prolonged and pretty easy to say, A, O, A, U. Ah, 
The other thing is Americans will often have to repeat things. And when I say repeat, I mean things you're watching, not repeat themselves by saying it twice, but watching something and having to go back and go, oh, I'm going to have to rewind and go back and watch that again because I just didn't catch it. If it's in British, English, or Scottish, or something like that, it tends to go by so fast that even though we could understand it, if we slowed it down, or if we saw it a second time, we may miss it on the first pass. Now, I don't know if that's also true for British people watching an American movie, if they find that it's too slow and they understand it right away, or if they would also have to review it a second time simply because it's different. But I know that for me, my experience watching a British movie, for example, is that the sounds go so quickly that I need to hear it a second time in order to process what was said. And of course, turning on subtitles is a great thing to do if you just want comprehension. But if you're really interested in how they said it, and I find it so easy to do now because you can go and turn on in your subtitles, you can turn the voice on in one language and the subtitles in a different language or the same language and go back and forth. And it's a great way to learn any language. So I would encourage you to do that with English to turn on the subtitles and then turn them off and maybe turn them on in your language and see if you can go back and forth looking at the words and listening to the different pronunciation and see if that can help you master the language too. These are all just thoughts on how to improve. The idea is that yes, vowels will be different and there is an awareness around the dialect. So you could Google, again, use Wikipedia as a great way to start. It's not necessarily as com comprehensive as other sources, but I like it because you can look up any language and compare the vowel set. So you could look up Russian or Swedish or German or Spanish, any language, and look at the vowel patterns and then compare it to a mainstream American English vowel register and look at how the vowels are different. Where are they made differently? Are there the same number of vowels? Are there the same number of varieties like long and short E, long and short OO? How does that compare to your first language, your mother tongue? And then you could look up different kinds of English, the Australian typical English. One of the differences I've noticed in Australian English, for example, is this word dual can be pronounced jewel. And when I hear duality, which I would pronounce duality, it sounds to me like J-E-W-E-L, like a jewel, jewelry, as opposed to dual duality, D-U-A-L, because the D-U can sound like a J. The fancy word for that is yod coalescence. I don't expect anybody to remember that, including me. I forget it all the time. But the T-U and the D-U changing sound, the T-U changes to ch, ch, uh, which is a an interesting sound, actually, an affricate sound that is voiceless, the ch-ch. And then the voiced affricate is j. And those two sounds can be spelled different ways in English, like the word edge, the dg is a j, or the gr word graduate, the du is a j, but du, dual, is not j, because we do not use this yod coalescence concept, turning the du into j, in the stressed syllable. So if you look at the word opportunity, in Scotland you might hear people say opportunity, but we don't say it that way because there's stress on the T. We also say Tuesday, whereas some people in Scotland, I'm told, say Tuesday instead of Tuesday. Why is that? Because those two letters, T and U, are stressed, so we keep them two, but we do say situation, not situation, and situate. And why do we do that? Because the stress is on a different syllable. The stress is not on the TU. So whenever there's no stress on it, that's why graduate, the stress is on the grad, not the J. 
It's important to know about stress when you apply some of these rules. It's not just about the vowels. There is more to it, but you might look up discerning features of. So using that language in your search, discerning features of Swedish, discerning features of certain dialects, and just put the name of the dialect and you'll get a vowel list. And you might also get some hints like the Yad Coalescence one that I just gave you. And those hints will help you navigate the accent, then apply it to your own speech. And I always encourage people to apply it to a script first or something in writing or a, a tongue twister as opposed to applying it to natural speech because that's doing two different things. Thinking and talking is different from applying something new. So if you're reading, it's going to be easier. And then once you master that, then you try to talk freely and add this new sound in there. And I think that can be a really effective way to hone in on what's different about the dialect or accent that you're learning. So those are just a few techniques, and again, dialect is not my specialty at all, but the idea that you can use some tools, we talked about toolkits before for accent in general, that you can also navigate what's different about a particular dialect that you want to learn, or as we mentioned, a lot of people don't want to learn a particular dialect, but they want to be aware. I think I also mentioned that I was dealing with a Mexican client one time that had grown up learning British English, and he was completely unaware that he was learning British English. He assumed that he was learning American English, being in Mexico and going to a public school. He assumed since he was close to the U.S. and planning to move to the U.S. that he was learning American English, whereas he was truly learning British English from a teacher who was schooled in England. And what's interesting to me about that is that the British English have done such a great job of getting their language all over the world because they are the writers of the dictionaries and the books that teach English. And primarily, I find that most of the books that I have learned from have been a British and Longman's Dictionaries, Cambridge Dictionaries, Oxford Dictionaries are all British companies. They do make American dictionaries, but we tend to get a lot of our resources to learn the language from England, which is fine. It's just an awareness around how you can work on language by knowing some of these things and by making sure if you want to learn the American accent, if you're using Longman's, for example, that you use the yellow coded books. The blue ones tend to be British and the yellow color, I realized after I got several books, were the American ones. So all those awarenesses will be helpful when you're navigating this. But you want to be aware of what your dialect sounds like. I've had clients who grew up in the South who came from Korea or China, and their English was actually quite good. And they told me that those longer sounds like that, you know, talking that way was actually helpful to learn to elongate syllables because we do elongate syllables, and people in the South tend to do it even longer, and so that was really helpful to them. So a lot of that stuff you'll pick up on your own. It won't be anything that is in a book or that you're taught, but there are certain awarenesses and patterns that become prevalent that you'll figure out if you use some of these tools. I hope this has been helpful to help you navigate dialect a little bit easier, and I look forward to talking to you in the next episode.